So with that in mind, we're going to look to our Lord now in prayer. So Father, we're thanking you for being our God, thanking you for the strategic plan of salvation that's found in a personal relationship with you through Christ. We're asking, Father, that these thoughts, sort of meditation this morning, that a succinct way describes the significance of Christ and what he has done, that these thoughts are going to honor you. So, Father, these moments are yours. These thoughts are yours. We're interested in the phrase by phrase, verse by verse, of what it is you want to communicate to us and to do it in a way that connects with 2019 living. So, Father, warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wheels. As again now, we've come here to see Jesus, Him only. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. William Manchester, biographer of William of Winston Churchill, describes a situation where the family of Winston Churchill were swimming in a pool when one of the boys began to drown. He tells us the son of the gardener jumped in and rescued the helpless one. The grateful parents asked the gardener what they could do for this youthful hero. The gardener said that his son wanted to be a doctor, to go to college, to go further and study medicine, to make an impact upon the lives of others. And the family, the parents in particular, said, we will do what's necessary to put him through school. Winston Churchill was the one who had been saved. Years later, when Churchill was stricken with pneumonia, while Prime Minister Great Britain, King of England instructed that the best doctor be found to save the Prime Minister. The doctor was Mr. Fleming, Dr. Fleming, the developer of penicillin. He came in and meet, met the needs once again of Winston Churchill. For he was the same man who in his childhood had rescued him in his drowning incident. Churchill said, rarely has one man owed his life more than once to the same rescuer. Everywhere I turn, when I'm in deed, it seems as though Dr. Fleming appears. And when I read that in Manchester's volume on Churchill, I mocked that word appears and saw how it relates to what we find here. Because here Jesus Christ meets your need, he meets my need, he meets our needs, past, present, and future, and does it in an extraordinary way to prep our hearts for receiving the bread and receiving the cup 
What I want to do is to draw out three significant appearances that are found now in these verses. Each appearance is wrapped around two verses. And see how this connects to 2019 living. And the first comes out of verses 23 and 24. As you and I are reflecting now upon Jesus Christ. I want you first of all to note the purpose of the present appearance of our Lord. His present appearance. What he's doing. Where he appears. What it's all about. So now it leaps before us on the screen. And thus you and I are told that thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. And you're saying, Gary, don't talk that way. What does that mean? What you've got to bear in mind is that the book of Hebrews does a brilliant job of connecting the Older Testament to the Newer Testament. And the Older Testament was distinguished by its sacrificial system, whereby lambs had to be sacrificed. And so now, what he's doing at this point is he is setting up a scenario between the earthly and the heavenly. The, what we'll call the earthly tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle, or to put it another way, the earthly temple, the heavenly temple, he wants to draw out this contrast for you and me between the high priests of the Old Testament, the high priests of the New Testament, and to see how all this fits together practically for the way you and I live. Now check it out. He says thus, it was necessary. You say, necessary, necessary for what? Well, he takes you back now to the Older Testament. He says, now, you remember when you were reading in your Older Testament about that tabernacle? You remember about the Holy of Holies? You remember about that sacrificial system and the way the lambs were being, being slain for the sake, shed blood, so that people would be able to have, have acceptance before God? Well, when it comes to those Old Testament rituals, those were copies. Those are tokens to represent what's in the heavens. They were limited in scope, weren't they? And so it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. Now notice, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, hopefully, you spend time on your own reading through the book of Hebrews on occasion. What you will find is that 13 times that word better is used in Hebrews. Better sacrifices are described here. Now, when you and I begin to ponder the significance of what we find here in these verses, what God seems to be saying to you and to me is that Jesus Christ offers a better priesthood, than what was offered in the Older Testament. And Jesus Christ offers a better sacrifice than what was seen in the Older Testament. And so there is something about the supremacy of Christ and who he is, something about the superiority of Christ and what he has done. You pull all that together now, what you and I see at this point then is that what Jesus Christ has done was to secure something that up until that point had not been achieved. A sacrifice that you and I find. A sacrifice once for all. 
Out of all that, in verse 24, comes this phrase. For Christ has entered. Now remember that scene in the Gospels when the veil of the temple was torn in two? When it was torn in two, it was torn not from bottoms up, signifying our works. No. It was torn from top down, signifying God's work. This was God's doing, not ours. And it happened when Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sins. Now, at that point, then, we are being told that there is this now an opportunity for entrance. When I was heading off to Israel back in, in 2018, what I did was to look up some things, make sure I had my ducks in order, and there were some varying accounts of what was required of me, but there was repetition at the same time. For example, these words. You don't need a visa to enter Israel. Keyword, enter. On entry, keyword, entry. Visitors are granted leave to enter for a period of up to three months. Visitors entering via Ben-Gurion Airport, which is what I did, we're given an entry card, which I had along with my passport. An entry card. And so what you have is an entry card instead of an entry stamp. You gotta keep your entry card, your passport, till you leave if you wanna go to the promised land. And you say, but Garrett, why don't they go about stamping your passport? Here's the answer. If you plan to visit Arab countries, what you want to do when you're entering Israel is to ask for your visa stamp to be placed on a piece of paper separate from your passport when you enter Israel. Because if your passport is stamped by Israel, well, that stamp will close the doors to many Arab and Islamic countries for the duration of your passport. So what I needed to be able to maneuver, to get around in Israel, I wanted to make absolutely certain that along with my passport, I had my entry card readily available. And now, notice what it says here. Christ has entered. And due to his finished work on the cross, he has secured his entry card. Not into the earthly temple, into the heavenly temple, you see. Now, in the process, he paves the way so that you and I, in turn, have access to God. We can enter into God's presence because we've got a forerunner, as the book of Hebrews would point out for us. Christ has entered because of the better sacrifices. He is the better high priest. Why? He is sinless. The high priests of the Old Testament were sinful. They had to repeat their sacrifices year by year by year. But Jesus Christ, the great high priest, his work is finished because his nature is sinless. So no repetition is necessary Christ 
has entered. Not into holy places made with hands like the Old Testament temple. They're copies. They're copies of the true thing found above. No. But into heaven itself. And notice what comes next because it's italicized for you. What's the purpose? Now to appear. Okay. That's the first of three Greek words found in this passage that deal with the idea of Christ appearing. And you say, why, Gary? Now to appear where? In the presence of God. And here comes at you, full tilt. On our behalf. Now, in your Old Testament, what you would find is that the high priest would go in repetitively year after year after year, and he would represent the people, but the representation was fallible because he was sinful. Thus, it needed to be repeated. But Jesus, the great high priest, is the sinless high priest. He's offered the once-for-all sacrifice Therefore, no repeated sacrifice is necessary. And that's why, then, we understand the Reformation and the emphasis upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that communion does not involve the repetition, the repeatedness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is a once-for-all phenomenon. So now he appears. This is a present tense. This is a 2019 deal. And you ask, where? In the presence of God, you ask how, and you and I now are taken aback at this point on our behalf. Thought about that. Stories told of where Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, shy youths, 1933, they're the ones that created, you know, the Man of Steel, Superman. Well, they had no royalties from this because they signed over their rights to Superman in 1938 for, get this, $130. Siegel said he could not bear to watch the old Superman television series and that it pained him to see kids reading comic books of Man of Steel. But I mocked this. Schuster said that in 1966, he stood on the sidewalk on the opening night of the Broadway musical Superman and said, quote, I couldn't afford the price of a ticket. I just huddled out there while celebrities and everyone else went by. I was not able to enter. You and I have something of significance when it comes to the matter of entrance. You've got the great high priest who's gone before you. You've got the veil of the temple torn in two, top to bottom. Now you've got access to God based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. So you're looking at this then, and now you've got the first of the three appearances. This is a present appearance of our Lord. 
Now the second. Here comes at you the past appearance of our Lord. It's going to take you back in time. Verses 25 and 26. Now then, he says, based upon where you are in our case 2019, take a look back. Ask what's behind me. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly like they did in the Old Testament time. Remember how in the sacrificial system, year after year after year, those lambs were slain. Remember riding past the fields of Bethlehem. Pondering how the lambs slain ultimately in, in Jerusalem. How they will be utilized in the sacrificial system. Well, in that case, the Old Testament, these lambs, the slaying of the lambs, it was a yearly phenomenon. So as the high priest entered the holy places year after year after year, every year, what I want you to see on the screen, what comes next at you, is that it was with blood that was not his own. Because you're going to compare that now to Jesus Christ. And now you're connecting where you are 2019 the present and his appearance in the heavens with what took place in the past when the veil of the temple was torn too. And notice whose blood was shed. Jesus Christ. So now when it says here with the blood not his own, what he's saying is that there was something that was of high limitation in the Old Testament because the high priest, when he entered into the Holy of Holies, he did so with blood that was not his own. Thus it required repetition. But due to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus Christ shed his own blood. Contrast the blood, not his own, of the Old Testament, with the blood that was his own in the Newer Testament. And now you're beginning to see the extraordinary aspect of salvation found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Take a deep breath there. He's not done yet. In verse 26, what he does is that he builds on this and offers the contrast. In 26, it says, For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly. Speaking of that high priest in the Old Testament, since the foundation of the world, comparing it to Jesus now. Whenever you see the word but, God is about to make a major comparison for you, and it's, it's, it's highlighted. Wants your attention. Here it comes. But as it is, he has appeared. And there's your second appearance. And extraordinarily, in the original languages, he uses a different Greek word for appeared than he did in the prior statement of appeared. He wants each word to stand out, though the English can't seem to capture the essence but he appeared. And notice how he appeared once for 
all. One of the things that stands out to me when I'm working through the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books of the scriptures, is this whole matter of the once for all. For example, in chapter 7, and verse 27, stands out to me. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. And he did so voluntarily, and he did so sacrificially. So now you combine what you just read in 727 with what you just spotted in chapter 9, verse 26. And then again in verse 28, we'll get there in just a second. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. So now what the writer of Hebrews wants you and me to understand at this point is the sufficiency and the finality of Jesus Christ's work. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. It stands on its own. See how this distinguishes Christianity from all the other religions found in the world? So now you tie all that together, and then you see what comes next and how all this fits. As it is, he has appeared. He appears now in the heavenlies. He appeared then at the cross, once for all, at the end of the ages. And once again, you ask him, what's the purpose of it all? Here it is, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now what I'm doing is I'm contrasting what's happening in the present with what happened in the past. In the present, he now appears. Regarding the past, he has appeared. Regarding the present, he appears in the heavens. In the past, he appeared at Calvary. In the present, he appears on our behalf to intercede for us. In the past, he appeared on the cross to die for us. But each situation involves a for us stand out for you? It's your Savior. And that's what makes the bread and the cup so significant as you ponder the for us aspect of it all. But he's not finished. Because there's a third appearance now. He succinctly pulls together. He took you into the present, pulled you into the past, now appears in the present, has appeared in the past, but I want you now to see how he will appear in the future. Check out 27:28. And just as it is appointed for man to die, there it is again, once. See how he's working the phrasing here? And now he's contrasting sinful man with the sinless one. Thus, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. 
So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, hit the pause button at that point. Because he, in essence, is saying just as what was promised in Isaiah 53, verse 11, eight centuries prior to Christ, he shall bear their iniquities. Here, then, it says he's been offered once, not repeatedly, to bear the sins of many. In just a few moments, when we're receiving the bread and then a cup, when we're dealing with the aspect of Christ's body as represented by the bread, you'll hear me say something along the lines of no sin found within that body. Our sins placed upon that body. See? He bears, he bore the sin, the weight of sin. And now what you're doing with this third appearance, you're connecting present to the past, you're connecting the present to the future, it is all coming together, you're seeing the scope of Christ's work through the three significant appearances, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many here it comes at you will appear a third Greek word different than the first and the second Greek words he keeps looking for new ways to be able to communicate the essence of the significance of the scope of Christ's work. He will appear a second time. And you ask, and why is he coming? Not to deal with sin. Why? Because he did it once for all on the cross. The penalty for sin in the past was paid. The power of sin in the present is broken. The presence of, the, of sin in the future is abolished. So he will not be dealing with sin in that second one, but rather to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now you connect past with the present. You connect the present with the future. The present tense now appears. The past tense has appeared. The future tense will appear. You got the three appearances. Put it a different way. In the present, he appears in the heavens. In the past, he appeared on Calvary. In the future, you see, he will appear upon his return. In the present, he's involved in interceding for us on our behalf. In the past, he saved us. He redeemed us. It was done on our behalf. In the future, he comes to deliver us. It's on our behalf. And the three appearances have one thing in common, you see. Though the Greek words are different, there is one common feature. It is for us. And that's your God. He's there for you. Past. Present. Future. So you got a Winston Churchill. Utterly astounded. Because in his early years of life, could have drowned. Son of a gardener dives in. 
saves him. Decades later, stricken with pneumonia at a time period in history where that was dangerous, a surgeon appears on the hands of physician, Dr. Fleming, the father of penicillin, saves him. Churchill's astounded, you see, because whenever he's in need, the way Churchill put it, my savior appeared. In the sacred realm of things, past, present, future, Christ now appears, Christ had appeared. Christ will be here for you. So, fathers, we're prepping now for the bread, prepping for the cup. We're awed, Father, no repeated sacrifices. No, it's now one singular sacrifice. It doesn't involve the blood of others. No, it involves blood of Christ. And so, Father, we praise you for the bread and the cup, the body and the blood. I pray we'll honor you with this communion. In Jesus' name.